0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, brothers and sisters in in one faith, um, I bet you're familiar with uh, what's known as the Federal Witness Protection Program. Uh, but hopefully not because you're intimately (laughs) aware of it or because you're personally involved in it or something like that. But whether you've heard about it in movies or just in the news or maybe somebody that works in the government has some contact or information on that, but you know that at times a prosecutor or prosecutors will give to a criminal usually... You know, it could be a convicted or it could be an accused criminal. Somebody a little bit lower on, what's it called, the uh, food chain of criminals. They'll offer them immunity from any charges, from further charges against them in order to obtain their testimony as they try to get the ringleader or the mafia boss or the head of the cartel, right, through the testimony of this witness. And furthermore, to protect them because of the threat of violence or uh, retribution or vengeance against them, often they will get relocated to another part of the country, usually someplace isolated where they're not going to be known. But they'll also get this new identity, a new social security number, a new driver's license a new bank account, a new phone, a new phone number, uh, a new job, a new house. They get this entirely new identity. In an instant, this witness has this new identity and a new life and becomes this new person even while, in many ways, he's still the same person that he's always been, right? Right? Hopefully, if he was a criminal, this he'll see this as a new ch- lease on life and begin a new life away from crime. But I can just imagine, right? If it were me, how it might go. Having this new identity, but yet being the same person. If it were me, I can imagine that in the morning I'd go out to get the newspaper out front, and I'd go out to pick it up, and my neighbor would shout out and he'd go, good morning, Jack. And I wouldn't bat an eye. And then he'd maybe yell a little, hey, Jack, good morning. And I still wouldn't respond. And he'd keep at- insisting, hey, Jack. And then finally, it would dawn on me, I'm no longer Tim. I'm Jack now. And I'd remember and say, okay, hey, neighbor, how are you doing? Good to see you. And, and, and So I'd be this new person, and yet it might take a while to realize it myself, and I might continue to grow into this new identity that I have. This morning, as we continue to be focused, like I've said, and in particular, we're focused on the true value of earthly wealth and earthly riches, and certainly Wealth is a blessing from God, one that we receive with thanksgiving and we can use in many different ways with gratitude in our hearts and to do a lot of good, but wealth can never be our security and our being,
1: our desire, our goal, our all in all. Because our security, our goal, our all in all is Jesus, right? In the New Testament, lesson from Colossians. We already heard that this
0: morning. We're going to understand that to properly properly value riches is just one aspect of the new life we have in Christ. In fact, the lesson on Colossians mentions it, but doesn't really go into the valuing of blessings. But kind of like that state's witness who has this new identity which is ours through faith in Jesus and it's ours fully and completely. We're fully and completely forgiven, God's children, heirs of eternal life. And yet kind of like that witness or that example, we sometimes grow into that identity as we continue to grow in our faith throughout our lives. The Apostle Paul this morning, he helps us realize and believe with our whole hearts that our new identity kind of has two different realities. Number one, we have a place in heaven with Christ, but also we have a power for living for Christ even while on earth, okay? So the text, again, I mentioned, is Colossians chapter three, verses one through 11. Paul's relationship with the Colossians was a little bit unique, different from his relationship with the Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians, because those were churches that Paul had been to, had founded, he had served as their pastor, but Paul didn't know the Colossians personally. Nevertheless, he was God's apostle. He wrote to them in love for them. He loved them just as much. They were still brothers and sisters in the faith. And we get to listen in on the benefit okay, that he tells them of their new life in Christ. In the first two chapters, chapter 1 and 2, which we didn't read, uh, Paul talked about how Christ had done everything. It's not Christ and our good works. It's not Christ and something else. But Christ is all sufficient. And then Paul had also kind of helped those Colossian believers because there were false teachers that were coming in and trying to detract from Christ and take away from Christ. But then in chapter 3, and this is something that Paul does in many of his epistles, after spending the first half of the epistle on doctrinal matters, sometimes around the second half, he delves into practical matter. He kind of does the same thing here. And I want to highlight just a couple words. So, And if you would like to have, I guess it's page um, six, you're welcome to have that open as we kind of walk through this, uh, the, the text there. But there's two kind of key little words that kind of hold it all together. Okay? It's a little bit of grammar here, uh, Paul's use of words that can help us understand. Paul says, first of all, Since then... And then he carries on for a few verses. And a little bit later, he says, therefore. Okay? So there's this since then and therefore. Maybe an example. Since then, the government last year uh, gave me a stimulus check that I wasn't expecting. Well, therefore, we bought a new refrigerator or something. Okay? Okay? He kind of gets that,
1: since then, therefore. What does Paul say? Since then, and he gives two things that
0: have already happened. Christ ascended into heaven. Christ's ascension was kind of like the seal of approval, right? Of his entire life, his entire ministry, his entire work of salvation. It signifies that the work has been done. There's nothing left to be done. It's done well, and he is victorious. His death, and, and let's not make any mistake about it, that was all done for us and for our salvation. Okay? His, uh, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all a done deal and all done for you and for me. And that's why he says, you also have ascended. Now, he's not talking physically. Because we're still not in heaven as we speak. But nevertheless, Paul says, you have ascended. That's a reality for us. Through faith, through baptism, we have a place in heaven. We have that position of honor and glory. Now, recognize, in this life, having a position of honor or glory, or maybe things like bonuses and promotions, what are they based on usually? Performance, aren't they? (laughs) But recognize that our position of glory and honor at the right hand of God is not based on our performance, but rather on Christ's performance. And for us, it's a gift of his grace. And that means that our
1: life in Christ, he says, is hidden in God. Our identity is hidden in Christ. In many ways, the world doesn't and can't and won't get it about who we are. Regularly
0: regularly come to worship God Sunday after Sunday. Why would you do that? Aren't there other things that you also might like to do? Donate money that you have earned to the cause of the church and the mission of the church. Why would you do that when you could spend it on yourself? Live according to God's will, you might say, according to God's rule. Why would you do that and not live to please yourself? Especially since once life is over, everything is meaningless. Right? The sinful world. The world, apart from Christ, can't understand our identity in Christ. And besides that, it doesn't get either. How can this, a little water here, mean new life? And how can a little bread and wine seal and give the forgiveness of sins? And how can listening to God's word produce a change in our hearts? The sinful world can't get it, won't get it. Our identity in Christ is a reality, but it's not. It's hidden. It's hidden from view in many ways from others. Other people may may not understand our identity in Christ. In fact, my brothers and sisters, can we all admit, sometimes maybe we even don't remember and appreciate our new identity in Christ. Thinking about, I heard this happen a while ago at a rummage sale, a garage sale. There was a painting, kind of an old-looking antique, but it was purchased for $30. It turned out to be a painting by Albert, Albert Durer, you know, the, the guy who did the drawing of the hand, the praying hands, that famous. And that, that painting, that drawing that was bought for $30 at a rummage sale, turned out to be worth millions of dollars. Sometimes not even we ourselves understand the privilege and this position of honor and glory that is ours. Their identity is hidden, sometimes even from ourselves. But that's why Paul reminds us one thing will be happened. One day, everything will be revealed, verified, guaranteed. God's promises will be kept. Okay? So Paul tells the Colossians, in view of these realities,
1: there's just one thing to do. Set your mind, set your heart, think about, concentrate on, on what? The things of above
0: and not the things below. Avoid setting your eyes on the things below. That doesn't mean, you know, we walk around <laughs> crazy with our eyes up in the clouds and we miss out opportunities to do good and to love and even to enjoy life? No, it doesn't mean that. It simply means our mindset,
1: our mentality is somewhere beyond.
0: Many years ago when my family and I, we lived in Puerto Rico and my parents lived in California at the time and several times We traveled to visit them, and we would have to go to Miami. We'd get to Miami, we'd sit in the airport, and wait for an hour or two hours to get our connecting flight, and what would I do? Here we sat in Miami, it was 12 noon,
1: but I would look at my watch, and I would
0: actually set my watch three hours ahead. We were headed to California. So I would set the watch. I didn't want to sit here and every second calculate. So even though I was sitting in the Eastern time zone, I set my personal watch to California so that I knew, well, we'll be there in five hours or when we get there, it'll be this time and that time. Even as I was physically in Florida,
1: mentally, I was already in California. And even in the same way, even though we live here on earth, Paul asks us to put our eyes and our hearts on where we will be,
0: the right hand of God. You know, God has given us human beings one of many gifts, but one of the gifts that he has given us is the ability to imagine things, right? Right? Animals don't have the ability to imagine and it's it doesn't it's not without its dark side we can I'm capable of always imagining the worst oh it's going to you know the worst thing is going to happen but on the other hand god also gives us the ability to imagine things beyond right blessing far beyond what we have now since then we will be there And because God promises that that is a reality for us, even now, imagine that. Set your mind on that. Think about that now and day by day. And then Paul comes back, that second word, therefore. Okay? So since then, all of this is true. Then Paul says, therefore. In other words, this new life we have in Jesus is not imaginary. It's not fantasy. It's
1: real and practical. And you guys have heard
0: the phrase, the clothes make the man, right? Like if somebody has a, an appointment, an uh, uh, interview, he'll put on his best suit and tie. Or if you want to make a good impression out at, uh, pool, picnic. You might choose just exactly the right outfit for the right vibe that you want to. Clothes make the man. God kind of takes, as I was talking with the children, takes the idea of clothing and applies it to our new life in Christ. He says, take off. Take off whatever belongs to the old nature. The old sinful nature that is ours from birth. Take it off. And in verses 5 and 6, he mentions sins that are inside of us, right? Um, Many of them in a sexual nature, greed, uh, the topic today, mentioning those things. And then later on, verses 8 and 9, mentioning sins that affect our relationship with others also. So whether there are sins here that just (laughs) are inside of us and do ourselves harm, or whether they're sins that are able to harm others, Paul says, take them off.
1: Like an old, worn-out,
0: dirty garment, which brings to mind the words of Isaiah the prophet, our righteousness is our filthy rags. Take that off and put on the new garment, the new man. In verse 10, do not lie, I'm starting in verse 9, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. When God, through Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit, brings us to faith, or when he brought us to faith, he gave us this new nature. Different from the sinful nature we were born with. Now this new nature, this new self, sometimes referred to as a new Adam. The being that we are through faith. It's being
1: renewed. We understand in this life, it's not yet
0: perfect. We We still may struggle with our sinful nature, but yet in Christ, we are being renewed in knowledge, in the image of our creator. This is the new reality that we have in Christ. It's not just as simple as, hey, stop it. Stop sinning. Rather, Paul says, we have this new identity. We have power for living for Christ. That's why Paul talks so enthusiastically, positively about our new life in Christ. It's not that we helped God to get there. God didn't need our help. He simply came to us. He saw our need. He intervened. He acted on our behalf. Yes, Jesus took away our sins on the cross, and he rose again from the dead. But as he comes to us individually, creates faith in our heart, through our baptism, through the word, he clothes us with this new nature, gives us this new identity in Christ, one that wants to please God and one that through feeding on his word and as the word continues to grow in us and grow our faith in us, continues to be renewed day by day in our living a God-pleasing life for God's glory. If I could summarize this message (laughs) in a couple of words, the message of Paul to the Colossians and to us, maybe I would put it this way. Be
1: who God has made you to be through the work of Jesus, we have a new identity. Place in heaven. A place that we didn't deserve, but that God, through Jesus, has prepared for us and guarantees us. And power for living. That we, despite our sinful nature, have a new nature that delights in pleasing God. God broke in to our lives and changed and gave
0: us a new identity. So since then, we have this position, this place with God in heaven.
1: Therefore, we have this power to live to God's glory and to please him. So be who God has made you to be.
0: Amen. May the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus.
1: Amen.